Welcome to Resilience Unraveled, featuring scientists, practitioners, experts and everyday people with knowledge, tips, experience and great stories to share to help you get a grip of your life. We'll give you insights into a range of subjects, including reducing your stress, improving your emotional intelligence, health and well-being and controlling your negative thoughts. By doing this, you'll be able to improve your resilience, confidence, control and perform better every day to live a more productive and purposeful life. For a free resilience ebook, listen through to the end for details. Here's your host, Dr. Russell Thackeray. So today I'm talking to Rebecca Symes. Um, now I think Rebecca's got a fascinating story to tell us. She's got a wealth of expertise and um, she seems to be an expert in an area where I have very little expertise but a certain amount of fascination so hi Rebecca hi Russell how are you I'm very well thank you yourself and it's a and it's a rare thing here but you it's a UK accent by the sense of it and where are you today it is today I'm down um working from home in Surrey so yeah spent most of my time um well it's a lot of time all over the country but based in Surrey very nice too so how would you describe what you do then Rebecca um, so I'm a sports psychologist, um, so registered with the Health and Care Professions Council as a um, practicing psychologist and I work, um, currently I work full-time in football but um, over the last kind of 10 years I've worked in a whole variety of different sports um, including Paralympic sport and professional sport and grassroots sport um, with a range of athletes and teams um, and ultimately to enhance um, performance and well-being in a nutshell. With, with specific sports people or with teams? With, with both. So I work with, um, so I've done lots of work with just being private, work with private clients, so that's individual athletes or coaches who have um, got in touch and contacted me and wanted to do some one-to-one um, -one work on the performance, um, psychological side of their um, performance. Um, and equally, I've been contracted um, with teams. So I worked at Surrey County Cricket Club for nine seasons with the academy and then through the professional squad and I work with Paralympic Archery um, for a couple of cycles, so the London 2012 cycle and also the Rio 2016 cycle um, for Paralympic Archery. So it's a mixture and I'm now working for the Football Association, so it's a mixture of individuals and teams. Um, so when I'm working with teams, you're working at, I guess, at a team level, but also you're working with individuals within the team as well, so you're kind of working on different levels within a system. So, and it's, it's interesting, isn't it, because there's, there's been a real rise in the popularity of psychology and sport. Can you, can you put your finger on why it's become so popular, really? Yeah, I think it's an interesting one in the UK, because I think, I think certainly, right, has become more popular over time. And certainly, even from when I started 10, 11 years ago, I think over that time, there's definitely been a significant increase um, in the popularity of it, which I think partly goes with an increased understanding of what we do. I think I think historically in the UK there's a bit of a, um, I guess to some extent a bit of a negative stigma sometimes associated with psychology, where it's associated as being something that is there purely to fix problems and to sort things out. And actually, you only see a psychologist if you've got a problem or if you're underperforming. Whereas I think what people are starting to realise is yes, of course that's part of what we do, but actually the largest part of what we do is about kind of actually work with people when they're performing well, but we're trying to enhance performance and trying to enhance well-being. So actually we're working with people that are already flourishing, but can we make them even better? And the way that sport is now, every single thing in terms of competitive advantage becomes really, really important. So actually 
you know, clubs aren't just looking and teams aren't just looking at sort of physical health. They're looking at um, psychological health um, of players as well and actually ways to maximise performance. And actually, that's, that's, I think, where the UK is a bit different because I think in America and certainly in Australia, I think they've, they've kind of got that idea as this area of being performance enhancement much before the UK has. I think we're a bit slightly late to the party to some extent on it. Mm. So, um, so who... So why might a sports psych, why might a sporting body or a group of or a team or an individual call call a psychologist in? Yeah, so just purely to help with um, enhancing performance. So we'll we'll work really closely um, with coaches and with systems to try and help um, those teams develop ways of working which can ultimately lead to um, performance enhancement. So from a kind of a, a cultural perspective, we'll we'll help with that and also from yeah from an individual athlete helping athletes to get maximised performance and get get the most out of themselves. So really it's trying to look at and say you know how can we enhance what's what's happening, how can people get the most out of themselves? Because you know ultimately particularly at the particularly at the top end of performance, you know, there's there's often very similar skill level physicalities can often you get points where they can be similar and actually it's people looking for where's the advantage what can we get and actually quite often the psychological aspect becomes the advantage particularly in you know high pressure situations so yeah it's interesting isn't it you often you often see see the fact that most people can do the same things but you're right it's a sort of marginal gains idea isn't it and, and looking at psychology and mental toughness and 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 those sorts of ideas that 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 make the difference. So yeah. so are you seeing that psychologists are most useful where at the top end of sporting, the elite sort of athlete or the elite sporting end of things? Uh, most useful. That's an interesting question. I don't know about most. Well, most useful. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I certainly think that's where. Certainly, if you're working as a sports psychologist, that's where a lot of your um, you know work is kind of tends to be at the elite end where you, where you can make significant difference. But I also think because we look at um, I guess culture and systems and that kind of thing also trying to help out um, you know within youth systems and that kind of thing is a massively important thing as well because actually to some extent if you, ta- if you take a really long-term view of it and you take an athlete coming into a system at the age of you know as young as eight or nine mm. and let's imagine that that athlete is going to work through that system and you know hopefully develop and become a professional athlete and up until their mid-30s actually Ideally, we want that athlete to be exposed to some aspects from a young age. So they develop some skills and coping strategies and everything, and are and are developing their talents within an environment that is psychologically informed throughout that pathway. So that actually they develop all those skills through the system, so that when they get to that top end, they're they're able to to cope with it and be able to perform to their maximum. So, in a sense, at the at the youth end, you're teaching them cognitive process, and you're helping them deal with, I guess, things like um, pressure and workload, and actually practice and such. I remember in my world in the performing arts, when we when we were young, we used to have to learn to practice, uh, and and some of that's a skill based thing, but that some of that is the mental side of it, isn't it? Know how to structure practice and to eke out energy and all those sorts of things. Yeah, definitely. Certainly from an individual athlete perspective, there are some elements of teaching them some cognitive processes um, involved there and some kind of really some skills. And actually, we often say if we're working at that level, we are teaching them skills and we're using sport as the vehicle for that. But actually, they're learning those skills for life. So those skills might come to help them. And when they take their school exams, when they get older, they take a driving test or they go to you know university interview or a job interview and some of those kind of basic fundamental skills. But also what we want to try and do is not just work at the individual level. 
but work within the system to work with with coaches as well we do a lot of work I would say focusing around helping coaches to develop and helping them um, to, to build environments um, which will enable the you know the athletes and the players to, to flourish mm-hmm. because actually it's not just about developing individuals with those skills but we want to develop environments where those those skills naturally then develop because of the the environments in which they're in so that's so you mentioned the word culture a couple of times so that's what you mean by that is it's the development of the the um the sort of pattern the patterns of behavior the the way the, the way people do things around there it's the actual physical and and um performance environment which has been sort of created and developed yeah and and that's absolutely crucial you know because i think if we only ever work individually with athletes or players and that's fine if it's on a private basis but if you're working in a team setting if you're only ever working at an individual level then i think that's only ever going to going to get you so far if you, if you you know if you're trying to work you know trying to impact on a team because actually you've got to you've got to take into consideration the team factor and the, the culture of that environment so I'm sure you get asked this question a lot, and forgive me for such a naive question, but if you, you work quite a lot of in athletics and cricket and football and a range of sports, are there any yeah. differences between the sports and the sort of mental challenges which which those people within them face? I mean, there's certainly some differences between um, individual and team sports. So, for example, in the world of Paralympic archery, where I've worked a lot, that certainly archery as a sport, similar to a you know, similar to a a rifle shooting or any any of the shooting sports or darts or snooker, you know, actually, for those athletes, when they're performing, their performance is only impacted by themselves. Right. So there's, there's nothing else. And their opponents are not directly impacting on their own performance. So, you know, an archer shooting an arrow, yeah. you know, yes, they can get impacted, you know, by the wind and the conditions and that kind of thing, but actually no other athlete is directly impacting their performance. However, from a psychological point of view, when that athlete is in a high-pressure situation and they're in what's called a head-to-head and it's a knockout, then actually their competitor and their opponent can psychologically impact their performance. So that becomes a really interesting one from a psychological perspective. Yeah. Whereas in a football or a rugby, obviously you're, you're, you have a competitor who is directly impacting your performance. Yeah. Um, and then obviously with team sports, you know, it's much more around kind of the... Um, working together as a team and the communication and all being able to understand each other's strengths and get get the most out of each other collectively. So there's some natural differences in, in that sense. But actually I've worked, you know, a lot, um, as you say, in cricket, in archery, in, you know, with professional MMA fighters. And actually fundamentally you're dealing with humans. Mm. You're dealing with humans who are trying to perform to their maximum. So regardless whether that's, you know, on a, on a, on a field or actually whether that's, you know, in a, on a stage, in a, you know, for actors, or whether that's you know in an office in a corporate setting. Actually, at the end of the day, we're dealing with human performance. Yeah. So I guess the um, I mean, there's a few things you're going to be dealing with, but I guess one of the things you have to deal with is expectation and the sort of resulting pressure. So, so how does how does how much of that is part of the work? With, and I'm going to come to come more to the, the cultural stuff in a bit. But how much of that is part of your work with the individuals, and and, and how do you how do you address that? That's massive. And you know what? One of the things that I've noticed in the last 10 years is the significant increase in expectation placed on people and particularly on young kids. That has by far been the biggest area where, 
you know, the amount of parents that get in touch with me of eight, nine, ten year olds and who are and those kids are actually struggling to cope with the expectation and demand that's being placed on them is, is significantly increased. Now, I'm not saying that has increased or whether there's just better awareness of people to help support that. You know, it's always that debate, isn't it? Has the pressure increased or is there better awareness which makes people so seek support more? You never quite know, but but that's certainly something. So I think, yeah, certainly the pressure and expectation and dealing with that is huge. And, and I think that expectation comes partly from within themselves because quite often people, you know, naturally who are high achievers have a very high expectations for themselves, which is part of, you know, it's, it, it's part of what makes them successful because they have that drive and ambition and motivation to push themselves really hard. But equally then the consequence of that is when they're not you know, when they're not matching up to that and they're, they're failing to meet their own expectations, that then becomes difficult. But also then you get, particularly in certain sports, you get a lot of pressure from outside, particularly if, if players are getting, and athletes are getting to a level where actually you've got things like the media expectation, the fans' expectation, that side of it. Um, potentially some, you know, parental expectations. So actually you've got a, a whole different variety of expectations and that is, that is definitely a big area. And, and you don't want to quash people's sense of, you know, aiming high, but it's got to be measured with realistic expectations of themselves as well. And particularly, I think, athletes, youth, if you take youth athletes, that naturally, if, if they're at school, they tend to be very successful at school. If they're good at sport, they'll tend to be successful in their school sports team. So they'll be one of the best players. They might then go and join a county team, you know, and then they're successful at that. And actually, the further up the ranks they get, what they find is they become more and more surrounded by people that are actually similar to, them, similar to themselves. Mm. So if at school, they might be highlighted as being absolutely outstanding because in that environment, they are. But when they're then put in an environment for, with other, you know, young people from other um, other schools and things, and they're all competing with a team, actually suddenly, they're no longer sort of the big fish, big fish in small pond anymore. Not and special. actually, that's an interesting area because suddenly their whole sense of self and expectations is, is, is shifted. And if they don't, if they've never been in situations where actually they failed before or they haven't done very well, sometimes when they get that first experience, it can be quite a shock for them, and they, they don't always necessarily have the, you know, the, the skills to be able to to be able to manage that. And that's fascinating, isn't it? Because there's a sort of there's a theory at the moment abounding, isn't it, around this idea of entitlement. And this idea that youngsters are, haven't been trained so well to deal with that. That's this idea of moving up the ranks. And certainly we found this in my world as well in the, in the performing arts. You know, you'd be in your local orchestra and then suddenly go to a national orchestra and, you know, the standards are amazing. And a lot of people are very daunted by that. And sort of, there's like a perfectionist streak which, which, which almost appears that says, well, actually, if I can't be good enough, I'm just going to stop. I'm going to give up. Yeah. And, there's a, yeah. and, and it's one of those challenges, isn't it? You know, how do you how do you balance the sort of the learning culture yeah. to support people and push them with, but also making sure that they don't that they that it's not so overwhelming that yeah. um, they can't actually continue. So I see your yeah. point about the system and the culture. So that's that's part of part of the coaching, I'm guessing. Spot on, yeah, and part of that environment being, you know, having supportive environments where actually it is okay to get things wrong it is okay to make mistakes it is all right to kind of not succeed first time around you know providing we're learning from that and we're we're striving to get better and learn and develop and develop from that um but a lot of it i think links to um people's kind of sense of identity mm. so i think quite often um you know particularly and, and i think this would you know you'd be able to tell me more but kind of apply in the you know, kind of the world of music and acting and stuff as well. But people develop this sense of, you know, identity of who they are. 
And if someone's particularly good and very strong in an area and they specialise at a young age, then what tends to happen is that their sense of identity and self-worth gets very wrapped up in, in being that thing. So I, I am a footballer or I am a cricketer or you know I am a musician or whatever it might be. And actually, therefore, they, they, they develop this sense of getting all their a sense of esteem and sense of self-worth from that area. Yeah. So actually, when something in that domain goes wrong, they don't have a lot to fall back on because their entire sense of self is built around that. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's fascinating you say that because you get in the world of work, don't you, where people are made redundant and people often say, I'm an accountant. Uh, Hi, yeah. my name's Fred. I'm an accountant. And it's, it, it's sort of pervasive, isn't it? And actually, if something happens and you lose a job your sense of self-identity can be shattered. Huge, yeah. And, and that has really, really big impact on people and people's sense of self-esteem. And it's the same reason why when athletes retire, you yes, know, whether that's yes. they're forced into retirement early or they retire naturally, actually retirement from sport is a, is a very difficult thing. You know, we find that whole career transition very difficult um, because, again, that sense of this is who I am, this is my identity, this is what I've always known. Yes. Which is part of the reason, actually, with, with young athletes, we, we try and say, we don't, you know, we don't really want young athletes specialising too young because, or if they do, they need to still have other interests, other hobbies, you know, so they can develop more of a rounded sense of self and a rounded self-concept. Yes. I guess the expectation, though, the need to win must get in the way of the sense of well-being and the sense of sort of normal development. Yeah, it's a really interesting one, that. I think it, I think it can do. I mean, certainly with development teams, you, you try and have the emphasis on the fact that this is about this is about development. Yes, everybody wants to win, and and ultimately, you're never, you know, kids are competitive beings. Human beings are competitive by our very nature. So you're never going to get away from that sense of people wanting to win. And obviously, as you go through the ranks and the further up you get, absolutely, winning becomes important. That's what it's all, you know, that that's what it's about at the, at the top level. But actually, what's important within that is is, is the development side of it. Mm. And actually. That's where again, coming back to that culture sense, is have you got that sense of culture? Actually, if we're developing and we're learning and we're kind of improving, then actually, you know, we're, get, we're going to get better anyway. And that whole winning thing takes care of itself. Because actually, if you focus on just winning, you, you, you're unlikely to achieve anyway. Because you're focusing too much on the outcome, which ultimately you don't have you don't have total control over. And that's interesting because actually, if you look at some of the most um, the sports stars with the greatest longevity, they often the people who have learned the most. And they're often, you know, known as the thinkers, aren't they? Especially within teams. There's a lot of very famous footballers who, who have done that. So yeah. in terms of expectation, and you've talked about this, about this, this idea of self-identity self being wrapped up in it. You've also talked about on a regular basis needing to learn, but also about it's okay to fail. It's okay to get things wrong. And yeah. then expectation is all about, therefore, the resilience that comes from learning from that failure. Yeah. I definitely you, you absolutely have to experience failure because it's inevitable at some point that that's going to happen um you know nobody can go through a career and not and not have a setback you know that's that's completely unrealistic and it happens in life not just in sport you know that that's that's the nature of life and the world we live in would you say so, would you say it was actually more important than that actually it's almost healthy to fail in order to rejuvenate and to renew Definitely. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, it's very hard if you're the individual or the team it's happening to in the moment to understand that. But certainly, without a doubt, that will, will serve you better um, in the future. I mean, some schools now, I, I don't know too much about it, if I'm honest, but some, some secondary schools now do what they call sort of resiliency week, I think, where they kind of almost have a week that's aimed at. And I, I, I don't know how they do it, but they kind of look at trying to create experiences, you know, where 
they set students up to fail, but then it's all properly debriefed. So you learn from that because I think they've got concerns that actually, you know, people have been more and more successful. And actually, therefore, if you never have those experiences of failure, actually, it then becomes very hard to deal with. But I think you're right. It does it does serve as well to have some of these setbacks, providing providing we ourselves can can kind of comprehend it and understand it. And we're in an environment which supports that. And that's where that kind of whole environment is really key. Because if you're a young athlete and you're in a team being coached by somebody who actually completely berates you if you make mistakes and you get things wrong, you know, that can be quite a, a very difficult experience for a young person or for any person. So so the environment being supportive of that is really crucial that actually we have an environment and culture where it's okay to fail, it's okay to get things wrong, but we need to understand, right, what what perhaps didn't we do so well, how might we rectify that going forward, what can we learn from that experience? So basically, um, I mean, clearly I'm very interested in this area, but for me, resilience is, resiliency or resilience is a skill and a process, and, it, and you're sort of reinforcing that as well, and um, I'm wondering how you, because some, sometimes there are crushing defeats, aren't there? Yeah, and um, I wonder how you've helped athletes come back from those sorts of situations, or or sports people rather, not just athletes. Yeah, just going back to that, you're right. It's definitely, um, it's definitely resilience. It's definitely kind of a, a process and, and develops over time. And I certainly think you can have individual resilience, but you also have team resilience. Mm. <clears throat> and there's no guarantee you could get a group of what you might deem to be really resilient individuals together and put them in a team that doesn't necessarily correspond to say that that team would be resilient. Yeah, agreed. So, again, it is that kind of definitely the sense of the, the environment. But, but, but a lot of it is actually started, starting to recognise, actually, we need to, we need to have the awareness of what we need to look at. If you're talking about situations where, you know, there's been crushing defeats or things have gone wrong, you need to have a sense of an open environment where people are willing to look at that and talk about it and actually be honest with their emotions about how they feel about things, which can be difficult sometimes. People aren't always comfortable being honest you know in an environment around how they feel but actually we need to get some of that stuff out on the table to get people to identify how do we feel in that moment and what might have what might have led to those factors and kind of really do a proper mm. you know, like a like a proper debrief process of that in order to be able to gather the learning from it so you're saying so you're saying in a way that you can have a group of people who are individually resilient that can yeah. create a team that is less so it's less than the sum of its parts in terms of performance or particularly in terms of resilience because yeah. of the lack of the culture of the systems around that team or within the team. Correct. Yeah, and, and one of those things is to be able to ask for help, share share how you feel, share what you yeah. think, share your views, and you, ha- yeah. you need to have that sort of nurturing, supportive learning culture against it. Definitely. And a, and a lot of that will depend on the leadership of the team. So right. the leadership becomes really important, hence, you know, the work with with coaches and managers is, is an important area of kind of working with teams. That's why I say kind of earlier on, you know, if you if you only ever just work, if you're working with a team, you, you've got to work at the team cultural level. You can't just work at an individual level because you could you could really benefit some individuals and that's brilliant and that, don't get me wrong, will have an impact. Mm. But if, if you want to fully impact, you, you kind of need to work at that team level as well. So absolutely have an environment where actually it's okay to, to be honest about how you're feeling and, and recognising that is important, you know, Naturally, if, if something goes wrong and you have a setback, people are going to be disappointed, upset, angry, annoyed, whatever. That you know, they're all natural, normal. Let's hope human. so. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas actually, if you try and you know that that's it's not acceptable and appropriate to talk about those, then you you know that's not particularly you know we wouldn't say that's a particularly healthy environment. You also want you know want the team to be 
on the same page in terms of the vision of what they're trying to work towards. You know, if you've got a team, but actually everyone's trying to work towards something different. I know that sounds really obvious, but actually trying to be explicit around what is the team, you know, what's the team vision we're actually trying to aim towards and make sure everybody's on the same page with that. You know, and then, and then your learning kind of comes back to that in terms of, right, how does this fit with the vision of where, you know, where we're trying to get to? So and, so it's, it's almost quite, it sounds quite corporate the way you're doing it. So you're setting a vision and then you're sort of talking about the behaviours or the, um, the practices that you'll have within the team to to get you there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I don't know if that's corporate or just yeah, just just psychology. But yeah, <laughs> yeah I suppose in terms of as I said earlier, in terms of you know, at the end of the day, we're dealing with human beings. Yes. Good. Whether that's in a in a boardroom or on a you know on a field, it's it's you're still dealing with the same components <laughs> to a certain extent. Yeah, fascinating. So and then uh, and so so it's interesting because of course again in the corporate world where I operate, it's um, sometimes the idea of coaching. There's some resistance sometimes around the idea of coaching, but in sport, it's it's particularly commonplace, isn't it? Whether you're a psychologist or whether you're yeah. a, a, um, you know an, a, an ex-player or whatever it might be, coaching yeah. seems to be absolutely part of the fabric of sport. So so what what are your views on that? Yeah, totally agree. Absolutely fundamental. And you're right. And I've done some work in kind of the corporate sector as well. And it is, we often use sport, you know, when I've worked in corporate sector, we often use sport as an analogy in business because of the fact that actually sport kind of naturally kind of gets that sense of coaching and, and development and getting better and self-improvement. Whereas I think sometimes, you know, that that's not always translated so well in the business world naturally as it is in sport. So I think you're right. Definitely sport kind of fundamentally gets that aspect of self-improvement trying to get better trying to learn um you know constantly needing to kind of i guess evolve and develop in order to stay competitive and, and to, to stay successful mm. um and i think it yeah the, the i think sport gets the idea of the difference between performance and results yes and i'm not always convinced that the corporate world gets that yeah absolutely right yeah the, the two things are conflated sort of unhealthily together aren't they sometimes well, you can have an amazing performance mm. and not win mm. and you know you can not perform well and win and all sorts of connotations absolutely you can play very badly and the ball goes, it goes in off someone's backside yeah. and you know this well, that, 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 trying to separate out performance yes. from results is a really is really important yes so, so just going back to coaching, then uh, one of the one of the classic problems in, in corporate coaching is this idea that often the manager does it. So you have the boss of the team doing the coaching. So in other words, the person who sees himself as being the most skilled often, and mm. and and I, I suspect in sport that the idea you don't have to be the best um, practitioner to be the best coach. Oh, definitely, yeah, definitely, and actually, some, sometimes they're not because the. You know, I think all that expertise you get from from coaches that have been ex-players and all the rest of it is absolutely vital and fundamental. But I certainly think people that go into coaching as a res after having played have still got to develop the experience and the knowledge and the understanding of how to coach. Like just having played the game doesn't make you a good coach. Mm. And actually sometimes they can fall into the trap of being like, well, I did it this way and I did it that way and this is how you should do it. And actually coaching is not about that. Coaching is not about telling someone how to do it and what you should do. Coaching is about working with them to work, you know, help them understand what's what's best for them, um, you know, rather than being a dictatorial um, process, if you like. Um, so yeah, it's not necessarily, you know, a lot of the top managers and coaches in the world are not people that have been highly successful themselves as a player or as an athlete yeah. necessarily. Yeah, it often gets in the way, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah, it's interesting. And yeah. so, so it's it's interesting how you've um, 
you focused your life around the whole sports and sports psychology area. So, how, so at the, be- at the beginning of your career, what what yeah. what, what, what sort of took you into the sporting world? Um, I, I think I, I originally did a psychology degree, which um, I partly say is just because I'm quite nosy and interested in things. So I kind of, you know, of I think I've always, yeah, always always been interested in people, always been interested in group dynamics, team dynamics. Um, when I was young, I, I, worked, I had like a holiday job working for a bank. And I always used to be fascinated. I didn't really understand it at the time. But I used to be fascinated by the fact that the team I was in, the morale in the office with that team was really low and people weren't particularly motivated and used to be quite negative vibes. But actually, outside of work and socially, that team, what I would now say, functioned really well. Yeah. And actually, I would think about that kind of in terms of, you know, what we know about cohesion and things. But so I kind of I was always interested in that and kind of found that quite interesting. And, and my dad had. Um, through his career had done some kind of work in, in the field of um, you know coaching and development and um, leadership training and things so I'd kind of always had a bit of an interest in it and, and my family you know my mum and various other people being in helping professions so I did a psychology degree and then came out of that and sort of knew I wanted to be a psychologist if you like um, and I looked into you know going down the route of occupational psychology I looked into educational clinical psychology but I just was really interested in, and enjoyed sport I've never myself particularly excelled in sport you know I, I played for the school teams and that kind of thing but never never to any high level I just enjoyed it and so it just kind of made sense really to I thought well I've got psychology I've got sport you know both things I love so I might as well combine them into a career really yeah seems rude not to in a way doesn't it exactly so it just kind of it just I say it sort of just kind of worked out really <laughs> and, and, and 10, 10 11 years ago one suspects that as a younger female coming into the sort of sporting world uh, yeah. you know that must have been a bit more daunting than it probably is today I mean I don't think I really even thought about it at the time I think possibly people often say that and I think it, it possibly looking back sounds it and seems it but I think at the time to be honest I was just so set on that's sort of what I wanted to do mm. and I set up on my own and my own consultancy because I was really clear that I wanted to be an applied practitioner you know I want to be working with athletes with teams I didn't want to go into teaching as in go into lecturing which is a lot of what of my um colleagues that did ended up doing um I was just really clear that's not the route I wanted to go down and at, at the time there wasn't there wasn't a system in place particularly where you could go and apply for a full-time job in sports psychology not in the same way that there are now particularly as a young um you know young and experienced practitioner there's much more opportunities for people now coming through coming through the system so that's pretty, pretty much what I did I kind of set up my own consultancy just because it just seemed the only way to do it really yeah and um Touch wood, it worked out all right. It seems to have done. And I gather you're, um, you're now fully employed and um, helping, hopefully going to end the drought around football. So, so. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, no, fully employed now, but, but I still got my consultancy, so I do yes. still do some private work as well. Um, still got that up and running. But yeah, it's kind of focusing um, at the moment my time full-time on, full-time on football, really. Mm. So I, I love the way you've brought all this all, all together and actually made it sound very sensible in the sense of that we're all just people and, you know, sports people are just sports people and the challenges are similar to real life, education, business, yeah. whatever it might be. And you're at, I, I, I love that approach. So if people would want to get hold of you, um, Rebecca, and maybe sort of ask your advice or um, actually ask you to do some work, how would they do that? Um, they can have a look on the website, which is um, www.sporting-success.com. Or they can drop me an email, which is rebecca.signs at sporting-success.com. Um, 
um, email address and numbers on the website as well. So yeah, feel free. Or if you want to follow me on Twitter, which is at Sporting Success on Twitter as well. Yeah, you're all social media. Fantastic. (laughs) Rebecca, it's been absolutely fascinating. Thanks so much. And uh, I'm really very encouraged to hear that that, um, some of the work that you're doing there mirrors so much of our own and so many of the the challenges we're finding, you're finding as well. So um, I'm going to to have a a good old read through the website. And um, thanks so much for your time today. I think that's been really useful. You're welcome. Good to speak to you. Take care. Yes, bye-bye. We hope you found today's podcast useful. If you did, why not subscribe and listen to our other podcasts? We would love it if you could leave us a review. To access our resilience coaching, contact us at info at qedod.com. And finally, if you'd like to download our free resilience ebook, go to qedod.com slash free ebook. Thanks for listening.